Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Vineyard. Really glad you're here. My name is Adam Russell. I am the pastor, and uh, it's good to have you on Father's Day. Hope you're going to take care of your dad today. Uh, listen, here's really what he wants. he wants. He wants a sandwich and a nap, okay? So, like, if you want to get him something else, that's gravy, but really, you got to make him a sandwich, and you need to give him space to take a nap. Can we all do that for our dad today? Like, is there any father who disagrees with what I just said? I'm telling you, it's universal. That's what every man wants. That's it. All right. Uh, we're going to continue our series here at the Vineyard called Letters from Heaven. Uh, this is a series that we're rooting in the book of Revelation, and we're just looking at a couple chapters in Revelation where Jesus speaks to seven different churches. He writes seven different letters to seven different churches, and sort of the thought experiment that we're running in the background is this. Uh, if Jesus has something to say, not just to individuals, but to whole congregations, and if he had something to say a couple thousand years ago to specific congregations, well, maybe he has something to say to us. And if he had something to say to us, what would be the sort of thing that Jesus would say to Vineyard Campbellsville? That's sort of the thing we're kind of tucking in our back of our minds. But before we open up the text this morning, uh, I want to talk to you about being rich. The title of this morning's sermon is called A Rich Life, and um, I just want to start with this. How many of you here have ever like daydreamed about being rich? Anybody? Yeah, it's just kind of like a, it's kind of a universal human thing, right? You, you sort of like, you sort of wonder at some points, it's like, man, I wonder what it would be like if I were, if I just had a little more money, right? It's like, I would kind of like that. Some of us in the room right now, we're occasionally daydreaming about these sorts of things. Uh, some of us are daydreaming about what it might be like to have a nicer car or a bigger house. Or maybe you're one of those people who's been daydreaming of like blowing up your house and remodeling your home. You know, Have you ever noticed that every reality TV show on HGTV is about destroying your house and then redoing it? You know, They're, They've tapped into something on the inside of us that's just never, like no matter what our house is, it's just never, we're never satisfied, right? We've got to blow it up. We've got to call Luke Lawler and have him put a new, a new bathroom in. Isn't that right, Luke? Shout out for the Luke. Tile guy right there. But some of us, are we're just always dreaming of these kinds of things. You name it. Uh, we're sort of programmed to do this. Um, and if we're going to spend a few minutes dreaming about what a rich life might be, for the most part, all of our daydreams would fit into a few very distinct categories. So all of these daydreams, you could basically... You could basically reduce them or distill them down to three categories. And the categories would be uh, the daydream of more money, the daydream of more leisure. You know, I'd love to do less. I'd love to just be so well off I could just do less. And then the third one is more power. And here's what's at the bottom of all of those daydreams for more money, more leisure, and more power. All of those at the bottom are all about somehow having more security and more control. To not be at the short end to increasingly be the sort of person who's directing life rather than being directed. How many of you have noticed that you've never had the daydream uh, where uh, you were hoping to have more bosses? 
you know? Have you ever noticed that no one is, is hoping that they could have a, another boss or uh, pretty much no one is hoping they could have another person tell them what to do? Uh, it's always the opposite, right? Like, I'm dreaming of a life where I'm telling people what to do, you know? What is that? Same thing, same thing. So, not only to have all of our needs met, we're dreaming of living deeply into our desires as well. To live life with more and more in the territory of choice. To get to choose more. To have more power and more security and more control. It's the ability to choose more. It's very seductive. Uh, and let me be honest. Like, gosh, this happens to me too. Like, I'll tell you a story from this week. Just this week, my oldest son, River, got his real driver's license. It's like it's changed our, yeah. It's like, that's, listen, we're stoked. Some people were like, are you sad? Like, is it a little bit sad? No, it's not sad. This is awesome. Like the other day, we were making a long drive home from Alabama, and it was me and Heather and the, the two littles, and my older boys, they stayed home by themselves, you know, because they didn't want to go to Alabama. And they had soccer practice, and we got home at like 8 o'clock, and soccer practice was finishing up. And guess what I didn't have to do? Get back in the car and go to soccer practice. They drove themselves home, right? And then when they got home, we realized there were no snacks in the house. Maybe you saw my social media post, right? Is there anything sadder than a home with no snacks? No. No, there's not. We were so sad. All of us were in the kitchen looking at each other so sad. There was this, the house was clean. Like, isn't that a great feeling to come back from like a little vacation or something and the house is like perfectly in order? Our house was so clean. It smelled good. Everything was perfect. The, the floors were swept. The counters were clear. And there were no snacks. And we all got really depressed. And I looked at River and I said, hey, here's $20. Go to Kroger and get us some snacks. And he came home and I didn't have to go. It was like it was fabulous, right? Okay, why am I telling you that story? I'm telling you that because I am in the process of giving River my car, right? He's getting my car, which means I've been daydreaming about getting a new truck. Man, I've been wanting a truck for a while, you know? There's nothing. I mean, I want a four-door, four-wheel drive truck. I, I kind of want a big truck. I don't want a little truck. I kind of want a big I've been thinking about it. It's like I'm feeling it. I, I, have, I sort of have a farm, sort of. I don't know. But I want a truck, and I've been, I've been like, it's been in my brain. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, I'm kind of stoked. To, it's like, yeah, River, that's yours. Like, I, I want a truck. Yeah. Anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say this morning is that all of us in the room are swimming in very peculiar waters, Imagine like a little fish in a fish tank swimming in the water. Can I tell you something about the fish that swims in the fish tank? It doesn't know it's swimming in water, right? It's, that's just its life, you know? And here in the modern West, here in the United States, we are swimming in very peculiar waters. And unless you have the light of revelation come on you, you have no idea that you're swimming in them. Very peculiar waters. And the peculiar waters that we're swimming in, they're waters of acquisition. That's what I would call them. Waters of acquisition. Or they're waters that are, that are strongly influential in crafting a narrative around what it means to have a rich life. You know, bigger house, more vacations, nicer car, more money, 
more ability to control, less people telling me what to do, more of me telling people what to do. That's what it means to have a rich life, you know? That's it. And then, and then we come to a passage like we're going to read here in Revelation chapter 2, and it all just sort of gets like dump trucked. I want you to notice this. Let's put the text up this morning. This is what Jesus says to the church in Smyrna. And you ask, well, where is Smyrna? Well, it's like Turkey, modern-day Turkey, all right? Jesus says, write this to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you're rich. I know the blasphemy of those who oppose you. They say they're Jews. They are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to what the Spirit is saying and understand what he's saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. All right, heck of a passage. Well, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to, I want to give you a new understanding of true riches. This letter in particular is all about a new understanding of wealth. And I want to say three things to you this morning about true riches. I'll give them to you up front, and then we'll go back and explore them. Number one, uh, true riches are not trouble-free. True riches are not trouble-free. Uh, number two, true riches are rooted in faithfulness to Jesus. And then number three, true riches remain. Okay, let's start with the first. True riches are not trouble-free. Let's look at verse 9. Look at what Jesus says. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. Like everybody in the room, we should just sit with that for a moment. How many of you would consider yourself to be rich if you were poor and persecuted, right? Yeah, we should just sit with that for a second. Poor and persecuted, but Jesus says this church was rich. See, our conventional modern understandings of what it means to be rich never take this approach. Our definitions of rich, they always center on acquisition, leisure, pleasure, and comfort. Well, you can read this entire letter from Jesus, and none of those things are found anywhere in this letter. And part of what that means is that our modern understandings of what it means to have a good life and our modern understandings of what it means to be rich, uh, those are deeply flawed and deeply lacking. Isn't that amazing? So here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's more spiritual to be a, pro, a poor person. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, that's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, you could have things and still have a rich life. But what Jesus is saying, and one of the things that needs to be interjected into maybe a modern American understanding of what it means to have a good life or a rich life is this. Just because you are persecuted or in times of suffering, and if you're poor and if you're struggling, it cannot keep you from the rich, good life that is available in Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom. Those things are not always the same thing. And one of the things that we see that Jesus is showing us here in this passage is that a rich life, according to Jesus, is sometimes the deeply troubled life. Sometimes the rich life is the more difficult path. Now, some of us in the room may be experiencing difficulty right now. 
for all sorts of reasons. And here's what you need to know. Your difficulty is not actually keeping you from having a rich life. Sometimes we think that. Sometimes we think if we could just get rid of all of our troubles, then we could be rich. Or if we could be rich, then we would get rid of all of our troubles. We do the math all these different ways. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe to be really devoted to Jesus, it might increase the trouble in our life. And that trouble might be a sign that we're actually living at a deeper place. Uh, the sign of our trouble might actually be uh, you're on the right path. You know, uh, everything in our culture is like pain avoidance. You know, uh, everything in American culture is like denial, just like deny. I don't have any troubles. Like my dad's great and everything's wonderful and uh, we're great. You know, it's like everything's awesome. I don't want to look at that. I don't have any issues. And, and we just we just avoid, you know, avoid, 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 avoid. Just keep just swipe the credit card one more. Just avoid just whatever you got to do. You know, swipe, swipe. But maybe, maybe all of those strategies aren't really going to work and aren't going to bring us into the good life. And so Jesus just interjects this other thing here. And it's the possibility that being rich, sometimes it's the more difficult path. And this brings up another reality as well. And for those of us in the room who are struggling, I, I really want you to catch this. Um, look at what Jesus says in verse 9 when he says, I know about your suffering and your poverty. Number one, Jesus, like anytime you're struggling, Jesus sees it, okay? And then he says, but you are rich. This brings up another reality. Uh, and this is the reality of, of, of this, that who we are and what we have, those things are not primarily determined by our circumstances, even our very real circumstances. Instead, who we are and what we have is really an outflow of who Jesus says we are and what Jesus says we have. Okay, you notice that? So Jesus isn't saying, well, you're not really going through anything and everything is great. Do you notice that Jesus is not a denial guy, right? Jesus tells the truth. You're suffering and you're poor. But I say you're rich. And so there is this sense in which Jesus sees, Jesus knows, he doesn't make it up, he doesn't sugarcoat, and he doesn't play denial games. And at the same time, Jesus' word is always the word that trumps whatever our circumstances are. See, one of the things about modern life is this. Modern life wants you to think that you are what you have, what you do, and what other people say, right? That's not what reality is. There is a superior reality, and it is the reality of what Jesus says you have and what Jesus says you are. So whatever you're going through, there's people in this room that I know for a fact right now going through great difficulty, great difficulty. You need to root yourself into what Jesus says you are and what Jesus says you have. It's the only way to live a rich life. If you chase, if you chase after acquisition, if you chase after a, a Jesus-less Jesus version of the American dream, no matter what you ultimately get in your life, you will be poor. Root yourself in what Jesus says about you. The word of Jesus settles forever who we are and how we're doing. One of the things that being rich means is it means having an excess or having an abundance. And there are a couple evidences of excess and abundance in this passage. They're not explicit. They're actually implicit, meaning you kind of have to like look for them. But there are some excesses in this passage, and they're the sorts of things that you and I are ultimately going to want if we want a rich life. Uh, Jesus 
is offering a couple things here. The church in Smyrna is rich for a couple reasons. One, because it has the presence of Jesus. Jesus sees them, he knows them, and he's speaking to them. Uh, the second reason that the church in Smyrna was deeply rich is because Jesus approves of them. So there's an excess of his approval. And how many of you in this room would like to hear Jesus speak words of affection, affirmation, and approval over you? Yeah. What is a rich life? A rich life is rooting ourselves in who Jesus says we are, but a rich life is a life that has an abundance of his presence and an abundance of his approval. Number two. Number two. True riches are rooted in faithfulness to Jesus. Let's look at verse 9 and 10. I know you're suffering in poverty, but you're rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they're Jews, but they're not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. We'll have to get with that, okay? Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. By the way, suffering for 10 days, this is probably like metaphoric, allegorical language. Uh, in John's revelation, one day is oftentimes like years. So, so maybe what Jesus is saying is, is there's going to be a season of opposition that comes against the church, right? That's what he's talking about. There's like not 10 actual days, like a season, maybe 10 years, maybe something longer. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I'll give you the crown of life. Stop. Okay. A rich life is not one that is just base acquisition. A rich life, truly rich life, is one that is rooted in faithfulness to Jesus. And faithfulness to Jesus brings out contrast. Okay? So if you and I, if as individuals we're going to be faithful to Jesus, like really faithful to Jesus, it will, it will contrast with modern forms of life eventually. If this church begins to live faithful to Jesus, we will contrast the culture that we live in in two specific ways, and both of them are in this passage. Look at what Jesus says to the church in verse 9. He says, hey, I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they're Jews, but they're not. Their synagogue belongs to Satan. Stop. One of the, one of the forms of opposition that comes to people who are living deeply faithful to Jesus is religious opposition, okay? So from the very beginning, everybody in here remember Abraham? Say Abraham. Yeah, we can wake up here just for a second. We got to do a little like Bible work. Okay, so from the very beginning, God made promises to Abraham. A man, a man became a family, a family became a nation, and God was working in this family, and they were his prized possession, you know? And so Jesus shows up, Jesus is also a Jew. He's in this family. He's in this stream. He's in this tradition. And Jesus begins to do a new thing. And then rather than excluding people, Jesus begins to include people. And he begins to preach the good news. And the good news is not exclusionary. It's actually inclusive, right? And so people who are not in the family and who didn't have the promises and who didn't observe the law in the way this other family did, all of a sudden finds themselves included. So people who were excluded for years are now included in Jesus. And not only did this message go out in Jesus, it went out with Peter, James, and John, and all the disciples, and then everybody they raised up, and the church began to be a place of inclusion. And it wasn't based upon your family, and it wasn't based upon how you worshipped. It was based upon God's grace and his welcome. Does this make sense? How many of you know that if you are part of the old system, that sometimes when the new system shows up, you're, not, stoked, you're like, like not super stoked about it, right? And so we're not entirely sure what it means when they say they're Jews, 
but they're not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. But here's what most Bible scholars believe what was happening in this moment. Most Bible scholars believe this means that the Jews, who were part of that original family with those original observances and who kept the law, they were persecuting the church. And why? Well, they were persecuting the church for a couple reasons. Number one, they were faithful to Jesus, who those people thought was not the Messiah and not the true Lord. And then they were persecuting the church uh, because now all of a sudden they've taken this original uh, Jewish uh, uh, specific family-oriented message and then began to include people who were not in the family. Does this make sense? And so people get upset. Ah, we don't like that. And so they begin to oppose them. So what does it mean to live a rich life? Well, you got to live faithful to Jesus. And then what does it mean to be faithful to Jesus? It means you better expect some opposition from religious people. That's what it means. Like even today, even today, even, even in the Christian church, big C, okay? Even in the Christian church, if you begin to preach a message of radical inclusion, how many of you know that some people get really upset about that? Can I tell you, can I tell you the subjects that get me the most upset emails in my almost 11 years of preaching here at this church? Consistently, when I preach about the unending, never-failing, all-inclusive love of God, people lose their minds. Why? Because we really need God to be against someone, you know? We do. Like, people just have this thing. Why? Because we're deeply religious, and most religions are rooted in exclusion rather than inclusion, you know? And so when I begin to preach the unending, never-failing, all-inclusive love of God, and that He loves Muslims just the way He loves Christians, people lose their minds, you know? They do. And even right now, I just say that, and you can just feel the room go, I'm not sure about that. Oh, you better believe it, bro. You better believe it. And if he doesn't love the Muslims as much as he loves the Christians, how many of you understand we're screwed? Because nobody's getting in because they were good. They're only getting in because Jesus is good. That's it. That's the good news, okay? Yeah. So what is the opposition? The opposition comes from deeply religious people. And the more we become faithful to Jesus, and that's the only rich life, is faithful to Jesus, you can expect some pushback from this other group. Okay, but it doesn't just come from religious crowds. It comes from another direction too. Look at what Jesus says in verse 10. Don't be afraid for what you're about to suffer. Some of y'all are going to prison. Now, how many of you know that synagogues and churches and religious orders, for the most part, don't have prisons? And aren't you glad? I understand that historically there have been some places. I've even been in some of those catacombs <laughs> filled with bones. But for the most part, churches, synagogues do not have prisons. Who has a prison? The government. The government. That's right, the state. So Jesus is basically telling the church in Smyrna, you want to have a rich life? You've got to be faithful to me. If you're going to be faithful to me, you're going to stir up trouble. And the trouble is going to come from two directions. Religious trouble and then you're going to get in trouble with the government. In trouble with the government. And this is the way that it oftentimes works. Faithfulness to Jesus will oftentimes bring us into contrast and conflict with the state. And what is the conflict that Christians would have had with first and second century roaming, Roman ruling authorities? Well, it's really basic. The church held that Jesus is Lord. 
And we hear that and we just go, oh, it's just like, yes, of course, Jesus is Lord. Let's like sing it in a song. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. What you don't understand is the, the phrase or the title or the, or the affirmation that Jesus is Lord is deeply political, especially in first century Rome. Because when you say Jesus is Lord, what you're saying is Caesar is not. Okay? So here's a little history lesson. Uh, Caesar was known as the son of God. Caesar was known as the prince of peace. So you, you guys thought this was Jesus stuff. How many of you understand that the early church was deeply subversive and they were taking Roman authority and they were taking Roman titles of, attributed to the Caesar, then they began to apply them to Jesus and it was like, it was kind of like the, what about it? You know, it was deeply, deeply political, deeply political. Jesus is Lord and Donald Trump is not. Jesus is Lord and Barack Obama is not. Jesus is Lord and Macron is not. Uh, fill in the blank. Jesus is Lord and North Korea is not. Jesus is Lord and the United States is not. And if you live deeply faithful to Jesus, if, if, as a church or as individuals, we allow Jesus to be king and not just some guy who maybe saves us from hell one day, contrast will come. And by the way, this is the only rich life. The only rich life. If you live devoted to Rome, guess what you can get? You'll just get a Roman blessing. And guess when that ends? When you die. That's right. There is another way. Um, even this week, I have been deeply troubled and I've been deeply encouraged by the church and by things that are happening in our nation. I have been deeply troubled by the policy of removing children from their families. You guys know these stories, right? Uh, have you read any of the things that are like in the New York Times or the Washington Post about the camp that's in Texas? Guys, it's not okay. I can't believe this is happening in America. This is deeply not okay. And no matter what CNN or Fox News tells you, it is not okay and Jesus is not okay with this. In the Bible, there are two people who remove children from their families. And let me tell you, they're both bad guys, right? The first one is Herod and the second one is Pharaoh. I don't think we want that company, right? I have been deeply troubled by this practice. I've been deeply troubled by this policy. However, I've been incredibly encouraged by the fact that the whole church has stood up to Washington and said, this is not okay. The Baptists have said this is not okay. The Anglicans have said this is not okay. The Catholics have said this is not okay. Franklin Graham has said this is not okay. Like everyone is saying that this is not okay. This is maybe the most unified the church has been in years this week. Why? And why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because if the church is going to be faithful to Jesus, if the church is going to live a rich life, we will occasionally profoundly contrast with the state, and we need to. This is the good news. All over the Old Testament, all over the Old Testament is the idea that nations get judged for how they treat the foreigner. It's a big deal to God. Third thing I want to say about true riches. True riches remain. Look at verse 11. To the one who overcomes, or to the one who is victorious, no harm in the second death. Okay, we probably need to define that. If there's a second death, uh, some of you might be asking the question, well, what is the first death? It makes sense, right? 
Oh, great, there's two deaths now? <laughs> Apparently. Okay. Um, second death is sort of like a revelation concept. You can read about it if you want in Revelation chapter 20. I'm not going to go there this morning, but you should look at it. Uh, but I'll tell you what it is. Okay, first death, what is that? First death is just like death. It's just like you get old and you die, you know? Uh, you stop breathing, the heart doesn't pump anymore, the blood stops, and you're dead. <laughs> However, second death is, biblically speaking, like way more serious, right? Uh, in, in fact, first death, biblically speaking, is, is, is nothing compared to second death. Like, second death is the one. Like, that's the one you want to avoid. And second death is not just the death of your body, but second death is the death of your soul. It's the death of your essence, the, the death of your personality, uh, the, true, the, the, the true elemental uh, essence of who you are as a person, that part of you that lasts forever, right? And so when Jesus is telling this church, hey, listen, if you are victorious, and by victorious, if you're faithful to me, if you live a rich life, you don't have to worry about the second death. I'm going to take care of you. Uh, what I want you to think there is I want you to think eternity. What does this have to do with tr true riches? Well, true riches are the things that remain even after death, the things that go on and on forever. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, well, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. How many of you know that love is going to go on forever? It's, it's like, it's a part of the true riches, you know? Uh, money, not true riches. Uh, gold, silver, jewelry, cars, houses, vacations, none of those are true riches. None of those will remain. However, things like love, the presence of Jesus, uh, the approval of Jesus, uh, the affections of Jesus, oh, these are true riches. They go on forever. If you value love, uh, especially if you value God's love. And you have to ask yourself, well, what is God's love? Well, God's love is self-sacrificing love, you know? If you value those things, now you've tapped into the thing that'll go on forever. Well, what's different about God's love than human love? Well, I, here's a big difference. Uh, basically, you and I, we love people who love us. And Jesus says in the Gospels, well, if you do that, what credit is that to you? meaning no credit there. Jesus says, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for them. Self-sacrificial enemy love. This is like, this is like PhD level God's love. If you begin to lean into that, oh, you've tapped into something that'll never go away. Jesus also says something really peculiar in Matthew chapter six. I want to read it to us this morning as we take up this idea of real riches remain. This is his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, don't store, up pure, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. This is really important. You want to live a truly rich life? Oh, you have to invest in things that go on forever. You have to you have to live your life for things that don't end. And Jesus gives us great, great advice here. He says, don't store up treasures on earth where moths and rust can destroy it and where thieves can steal it. Here's what he's saying. Basically, anything that can be eaten. Let's think about a moth here. What do moths do? Moths eat things, right? Anything that can be eaten. And read for that. This is metaphoric language by Jesus. He's not talking about actual moths eating up your dollars. He's talking about something much more serious. 
anything that can be eaten or consumed by the lowest form of earthly life. How many of you know that a moth is not an impressive creature? Right? It's an unimpressive, low life form. You know, it's, you know dolphins are cool, right? <laughs> dolphins are... They, did you know that dolphins live in families and they talk to each other and that individual pods, that's what a dolphin family, that an individual pod, like they have their own vernacular and their own language and it... And it uh, from pod to pod, the way that they use their little clicks and squeaks, it changes. Moths don't do that. Okay? <laughs> Moths are not cool. Moths are low-level base life forms. So when Jesus says, don't store yourselves treasures on earth where moths can eat them, he's talking about, he's talking about don't invest your life in things that can be consumed by low-level base life forms. What is that? Well, we could talk about that all day. How many of you know that you can ruin your life with low-level base human desires? You know, you can sow into that, you know? Uh, what are some? We'll just go quick. Uh, uh, you, can, uh, you can ruin your life with uh, the desire to be uh, rich and famous. Uh, you can, because it, well, it's not going to last. Dude, it's over. Uh, you can ruin your life. Uh, you can ruin your life trying to be pretty. You're done. How many of you know that no matter how pretty you are in, in 40 or 50 years, gravity's going to take over? <laughs> done. Bro. Like what happens if you live your life, whole life trying to be pretty and it's not going to work? How many of you know it's not going to remain? You know? Yeah. Uh, what are some other things that can ruin your life? Addiction. Addiction will ruin your life. How many of you know that it's sometimes fun to have a glass of wine or to have a beer with your friend or to have a beer after you uh, uh, mow the grass? You know, yard mowing beers right? Those are low level, those are moths, you know? Those are moths. And they will destroy, like, one, great. 15, not okay. You're done. Boom, you're done. Here's the other thing about moths. Where do moths live? In your closet, right? Jesus is saying you cannot invest, you cannot invest your life in low level, low level base human desires, especially the ones that we keep in the closet where we're hiding things. The things we most want to hide, you, if you invest your life there, you're done. It will eat it. You're done. Uh, Jesus also says, hey, rust. Rust destroys them. What is rust? Uh, how many of you know that like steel beams, you know those like, you ever seen a skyscraper being built? Giant steel beams. You know, it takes cranes to lift them up. Steel beams, the strongest steel. Like like maybe the steel that's made in Germany somewhere. You know, the Germans, they know how to build things better than anyone in the world. Like German steel. You could take the biggest, strongest German steel beams, and if you leave it outside, what happens to it? It rusts. And then what happens when it rusts? It falls apart. What is Jesus talking about when he says, don't invest in things where moths eat them and rust destroys them? When he's talking about rust, he's talking about exposure, right? He's talking about exposure. That's how things rust. If you leave it outside, if it's exposed to the elements, eventually oxygen and moisture gets on that, it oxidizes, and what was once really hard and was once really straight and really strong now becomes brittle and breaks apart. And it doesn't matter how big it is, eventually time wins, right? And how many of you know that in this modern age, in this modern age, uh, the, oh man, the, the, the cultural voices are trying to get everyone to look 
and to seek and to find more exposure, right? Like, what do you need? Well, you need more Instagram followers. What do you need? You need, you need, to, you need to protect your personal brand, you know? And now we talk about personal branding, you know? And there's maybe a place for that. Here's the thing. If you, if you sow the best part of your life, if you sow your heart and your soul into a personal brand, an Instagram account, how you look on social media, how you position yourself, and how you, you're done. You are done. And it doesn't matter how strong you were up at front, you will eventually, uh, you will eventually attract and accumulate the moisture and, uh, uh, and the oxygen of life will come on you and you will rust. And it doesn't matter how thick and how strong that beam was at the beginning, it will break. Time always wins. Jesus also says, got to watch out that thieves don't steal. What are... What is he talking about when he's talking about thieves? It's the idea of things that can be taken. See, real riches are not available to thieves and opportunists. Real riches don't have handles. Cars, houses, money, jewelry, they're all vulnerable to being taken. And as such, they often bring anxiety into our lives. True riches do not add anxiety to our lives because they can't be taken. The true riches of God remain. How many of you have noticed that oftentimes that the more stuff you get, the more anxiety comes into your life? Hmm. Hmm. Have you ever noticed that? Like the more you get, the more you're responsible for? Crap. You know? Yeah. You, you know, yeah. The more, like, you know, uh, you know here, here's a masculine dream. One masculine dream that's pretty universal with most men uh, is, man, we, we want to have land, you know? I want to have like a thousand acres. You know the problem with having a thousand acres? Having a thousand acres, because then you have to take care of it, right? And that's great. It can be a blessing, but it, there's always this payback, right? So anything that thieves can steal, right? Jesus is saying anything that's takeable, anything that's takeable, dude, it, it will add anxiety back to your life. And it's not the place to invest your life. Is Pastor Adam saying don't have land? No, not at all. But what I, Pastor Adam is saying is you better count the cost and you can't give the best part of your heart to those things because you won't remain, those won't remain, and they're adding anxiety to your life. And if you get a bunch of land or a bunch of money or a bunch of boats or a bunch of cars and a bunch of houses and a bunch of vacations, and by the time you're 55, you die of a heart attack or a stroke because you were so stressed out about all the things you had, you lost in life. You lost in life. I've been with several people when they were about to die. None of them, none of them, zero, have ever told me that the thing they're most proud of was the stuff they had. The things that people are most proud of right before they die are the relationships they had and the ways that they served. Always, always, always. No one is regretting not buying that thing or not having that thing. Everyone always regrets what they didn't invest into, especially as it relates to love and faithfulness. That is always where it's at. Don't do it. There is anxiety added in those things. And in fact, and rather than giving us life, it takes life away from us. How many of you have ever watched one of those shows about hoarders and where they just like clean everything out, you know? There's like a hoarder and then they clean everything out. How many of you have ever seen those shows where they clean out a hoarder's house and like you feel better? You know, like the hoarder, the hoarder feels worse at first, right? But then they feel better. Why? Because the stuff is a prison it's a, that's what Jesus is saying. It's a prison. And if you read Matthew chapter 6, it's really brilliant. He's setting us up. So here in 6, 19 through 21, he's talking about like where you put your, your heart treasure, you know? Don't put it on the earth. Put it in heaven. And by heaven, he means like put it where it's going to last. Like invest in the millennium. That's what Wendell Berry says. Invest in the millennium. But the very next section that Jesus talks about is anxiety. 
The very next, he talks about anxiety and worry. Why? Because what you have is connected with how you feel. And here's the weird thing. Oftentimes, having more will make you feel worse. That's the crazy thing. All right, I've stirred up all kinds of trouble. Wow. <laughs> True riches, they remain. One last thing about that. This is a note from Revelation. How many of you have ever read Revelation and you read that little note in there where it says that the streets are made of gold in Revelation? Isn't that a weird thing? That's actually a little parable in Revelation. Here's what it means. It means that in heaven or in God's kingdom or in, uh, in God's unending good and perfect life, gold is about as valuable as asphalt. That's what it means. It's a, it's, a way, it's a way that the scriptures are showing us what true riches are. In heaven, gold. Read for that gold, money. All the things that we give our lives to. All of those things, ah, we just build roads out of that in heaven. They're worthless. They're worthless. But there are some other things that remain and cannot be taken. Love. Love never fails. The approval of Jesus and the presence of Jesus goes on, and it never fails. Um, I don't know about you, but at the end of my life, I'm hoping to hear Jesus say these magic words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know? Uh, here's the thing. Uh, if you get a million dollars before you die, or if you finally get the promotion that you were looking for, or if you get the giant house, uh, here's uh, some good and bad news. Uh, the good news is good. Good for you. The bad news is uh, it won't last and it won't go with you. However, if at the end you hear Jesus say well done good and faithful servant that lasts forever you know that's what I'm hoping for I'm hoping to meet Jesus and go Adam that was great that was great I want, I'm hoping for the hand clap from Jesus you know there is one you know and we could get it but we can only get it if we live into true riches amen amen hey if you're on the ministry team this morning come on up everybody else stand up Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.